Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Musician's Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Mark, and today I thought we'd put out a bit of a bonus special feature type episode, uh, which is not part of our usual programming, but mostly because I've got the platform and I wanted to talk with my brother from another mother, monster musician, fellow Deep Sleep Atlantic bandmate, Daniel Perez. Daniel is an incredible drummer, great multi-instrumentalist slash producer based here in the city. He's originally from Bogota, Colombia, and uh, we've traveled some very similar roads, which I thought would be nice for us to talk about. In addition, last week, our band, Deep Sleep Atlantic, released our debut album, Prelude, and um, I thought it would just be cool if we had a bit of a conversation and documented the process. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Daniel Perez. Daniel, how's it going, buddy? Yeah, I'm pretty good, man. Pretty good. Just chilling in my studio, getting some stuff done down here. Good. Well, we're going to talk about your studio and we're going to talk a little bit about your journey, but I thought I would be kind of cheeky with this week's podcast and you know talk to a fellow band member and also talk about our band which uh for those who are listening and haven't checked us out we call deep sleep atlantic and i know it's a shameless plug because like look at this dude plugging his own band on his own podcast but hey that's a perk of having your own podcast plus daniel's an incredible musician You'll learn a lot from just hearing some of his journey. Oh, well, I appreciate the kind words, man. (laughs) Hey, no problem. What we're going to do is we're going to start the podcast the same way I start every single podcast. And that is, I'm going to ask you to do a brief introduction as to who Daniel Perez is. Tell us a little bit about where you've come from, a few things you've done, what you're currently up to, and uh, we'll branch off from there. Sure thing. That sounds good to me. So, uh, yeah, as you just said, I'm Daniel, Daniel Perez. I am originally from Bogota, Colombia, but I've been, you know, traveling around the world, just doing my my stuff, you know, just uh, playing music and uh, doing a little bit of other stuff. Uh, But mostly, you know, just immersing myself into music and playing my instrument, which is the drums. That's my main instrument. And um, music production, man, just, uh, you know, that's kind of my, that's kind of my my deal. (laughs) That's what I enjoy doing the most. Cool. So a little bit of a, a backstory here for those who are listening. Daniel and I met... Um, about three years ago, I had just moved to Louisiana. He was already living here. And uh, we were both working at a beautiful studio called Esplanade Studios. It's like the best studio in Louisiana. Uh, you should totally go check it out. Our buddy Misha runs that place. And Daniel was assisting and I was assisting. And we just hit it off. Um, but the thing that always impressed me, and I've said this to you before was your work ethic. Now, I know that this sounds weird and it's like people maybe feel like I make a bigger deal out of it than maybe we should, but I've always valued work ethic. Maybe it was something to do with my upbringing. Maybe it was just something to do with my mindset. I don't know. I've been a self-employed musician now for (laughs) 25 years. Yeah, I think both of us, you know. (laughs) Yeah, and, and... you know, I hate to kind of go straight into this off the bat, but it's like, I really feel that it's it's like a blessing that people are quick to go, wow, you're so lucky, man. You're a self-employed musician or, or whatever, because only 1% of the world make a living as musicians so when you consider that guys like us are making a living as musicians it kind of blows my mind but what i want to say about that is i personally think that work ethic has played a huge part in my journey so what do you think it's done for yours oh man uh having a good work ethic is 
I would say it's maybe like, you know, 65 or 70 percent of of what being a musician is and a, and a music producer and an engineer, you know, it's, um, yeah, sure thing. You can be as skilled as you want. Um, but I know that I am not like a outstanding super killer musician or instrumentalist, but my good work ethic and my professionalism actually, you know, it, it, that involves being on time for a session, uh, getting to the studio ready with your homework done, uh, be nice, be helpful, always be supportive and like willing to work and give your 100% to everything. I think that most of the people appreciate that more than a killer fucking drummer you know so um i i've been i've been really focusing on that i've been really focusing on on exploding you know all, all that all 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 my professionalism i've always been a, a very kind of dedicated person and organized person um but uh yeah man I, i've tried always to like explode that to the limits just like get really out there and give my 100 percent every day all the time and uh yeah i think that's it man it's it's a it's a really really high percentage of 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 what make you know of, of what of who i am today you know it's like that's it yeah and and dude it's it's a great attribute to have you know i've i i i found it it, like it attracts personalities like mine, you know, and I'm, I, again, I know I'm stereotyping because obviously everybody's different, but like, dude, I knew within 30 minutes of, of meeting you, I was like, this is my people, man. Like, like it's, it's just, I, I, I can't uh, thank you enough just for the amount of work you've done within our project, you know. It's been a real pleasure, man. It's, you know, having this type of project and, Working out with friends and working out with uh, with dedicated and emotional and passionate people is is it's 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 not you know it's not work it's it's fun and I know it is work and work is supposed to be fun so it is a win win <laughs> you know yeah what's the saying if you uh, do something you love you don't work a day in your life right exactly yeah <laughs> that is how I feel exactly you know um, now I want to backtrack a little because. The one thing I do want to attest to is Daniel is super humble and he made a comment about, you know, oh, you know, I'm not the greatest drummer, this and that, this and that. Daniel is an insanely gifted musician. <laughs> uh, anybody who knows him can attest to that. And if you ever come and check us out live, you'll, you'll realize pretty quickly the guy knows his shit. So Daniel, let's backtrack. How did you get into drumming? And furthermore, I know a little bit about your journey. I know that you, you moved from Bogota to uh, Barcelona, I think, and then from Barcelona to London and all over the place before landing up in New Orleans. But talk to us about how music became a part of your life and roughly how old were you when you kind of thought to yourself, I think I could probably do this as a career. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, I started... I, I've. I've always been involved with music somehow. Uh, my school down in Bogota uh, was a very artistic school. Um, so ever since I was little, I was like super involved in music and stuff. I first started playing the piano. That was my first instrument, actually. And, uh, and I still do. You know, I kind of stopped for a few years and because of certain reasons. But... Um, but I, I still do it, and I still love playing the piano. Uh, but, you know, drums are, are such an amazing instrument. And, uh, and as a kid, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're super fun. So I would say it all started when I was like around six years old. Um, I started, I guess I started doing what every other drummer in the world did. And it's just like 
pillows, cushions, pants, and just like start practicing at home because obviously you were you were not allowed to have a to have a big drum kit at, at home. It was too loud, too bulky, and um, so that's how I started. And then you know, at the age of maybe twelve, thirteen, maybe. I think my parents really kind of realized that I was being serious about it. And uh, they've always been super supportive about my music and my interests. So big shout to my parents, you know. Um, yeah, shout out to Daniel's parents. Yeah, Woo-hoo. they're pretty badass. Killer, killer musicians as well, man. My dad is a cello and a guitar player. My mom is an amazing piano player too. Uh, but that, that's not what they did. They, they do for a living. They're actually doctors, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So um, I think when I was 12 or 13, I got my first drum kit, and uh, I remember the, the the Pearl Export series. You know, the one from the 90s with the long logs <laughs> that connected from top to bottom. Uh, and yeah, man, I just started like shedding all these cool albums. You know, Master of Puppets from Metallica. And the right the lighting, Megadeth, and um, you know all this, all this kind of hard rock, Pantera kind of stuff, and um, that's how I kind of got into into drums and rock drumming, I guess. And um, and then, like you said, you know, I mean, I just kept playing and being involved in bands and recording studio scenarios, and um, I actually got into the university to study music and music production in Colombia. But it kind of, it didn't feel right. So I kind of dropped out after like a year of being there. And then I just decided that Colombia was not the place for me to be at that time. So I just moved out to Barcelona in 2007, I believe. Um... Or 2006, I cannot remember right. <laughs> and then I, I just spent five, five and a half years in Barcelona, you know, working. I went there to study theater, music theater, actually. And I graduated from, uh, from a BA in music theater. But in the meantime, I was always playing with bands and, and recording studio sessions and stuff. Um, so that never went away. And uh, like you said, also, after my five and a half years in Barcelona, I just decided to move to London because, you know, uh, London scene is huge. It's a big city. There's a lot happening over there. So I just thought it was a great opportunity for me. So I just went there and, you know, just the same thing. You know how the drill is. You, you keep on playing with bands, shedding your stuff, trying to make some contacts here and there in studio and producers and et cetera. And, um, and yeah, after a few years in London, living out of music and, and music theater as well, uh, some other, you know, family stuff brought me down to New Orleans and, and I've been you know, living the full-time musician dream down here in New Orleans for the last seven years. Yeah. Now, I mean, there's so many things I could segue from here. So let's try and do this in a way that I can maybe cover them all. One, uh, for those listening, uh, especially those that may be interested in the band, it's the funniest thing because... I've brought this up with Daniel before, so I probably sound like a broken record to him, but I lived in London for 16, 17 years, and Daniel lived there for how many years, Daniel? It was uh, between four and five, I guess. Okay, so still still a fair amount of time. And the interesting thing is we know so many of the same people and seemed to run in so many of the same circles, yet we never bumped into each other. This really blows my mind. Especially on the first time I met you, you were like, you mentioned Gabor and that he was one of your instructors for yeah, a while. Yeah, Gabor, like, I know don't Gabor. You, man. Killer drummer. Oh, he's a fantastic of drummer. a person, man. He's a, yeah. I can consider Gabor, uh, you know, my, my teacher, my mentor in a way, but also a good friend. He was always, 
he was always amazing. And that guy taught me so much and I'm so grateful to him, man. Yeah, and, and you know, not to go back and revert to earlier in the conversation, but another guy with work ethic that oozes out of him. There's a reason why that guy is so successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does not stop. No, you no. Know? So, um, anyway, family. You have an awesome little family. And uh, something that I like to talk about on this podcast that, uh, again, a lot of people don't really talk about on a lot of the musician podcasts, but let's talk a little bit about family work balance. I am terrible topic. at it, as as you know. <laughs> you know I, I say yes far more than I say no. Yeah. And before I know it, I look at the calendar and go, well, shit, I'm oh, not going to see my damn. wife this week. Exactly. You know? <laughs> um, so, I mean... I don't know. Talk me through your strategy here, man. Uh, how do you work it out? Uh, what's the hardest part? Uh, I, I don't even know where to start. There's so many different topics we could go off of just from this. Yeah, man. I mean, that's a... Yeah, it, it, you know, it's a... How can I put it? it it's been... It's been interesting, I, I guess. You know, there's a lot of challenges. I have, a, you know, my wife um, and I have a, a, a little daughter. Well, she's not that little anymore. She'll be nine this year. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go, you know, back to, the, to London, you know, as soon as my daughter was born. So... Uh, it was interesting because before I found out that I was a dad, I was, you know, doing the musician thing. I mean, like the like the, the, the musician's dream kind of thing, you know, go out on tour, party a little bit, have some fun, uh, sleep till late, you know, that kind of stereotypical life. <laughs> yeah. Um, but obviously, as soon as um, as soon as my daughter and my wife moved with with me in, in to London, everything changed and everything changed drastically and super quick. So I actually, I, I couldn't find the balance back there, uh, back then. I'm sorry. I, I just had to stop touring. I had to stop, uh, taking super late gigs like four or five times a week. Um, so it was really interesting and it was really tough. And uh, my wife was not allowed to work in the UK back then. So I was the only like breadwinning of the family, you know. So I basically had to stop all these things and, um, and start doing other jobs. Uh, just like more regular kind of jobs. Uh, but that didn't last long because I kind of found the balance real quick you know i think the passion is is one of the best drivers you can have and um and and i was i've always been so passionate and so decisive and so ambitious about my 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 career and my dreams uh so i started i i think i worked in in retail or something like that in a restaurant for like maybe two or three months and and right after that, I was like, you know what? Fuck this. This is not for me. I'm going to find a different angle. <laughs> and so so I did. And um, so that's kind of a, a, a story back then, you know, just to give a brief intro to what the balance is. Um, yeah. Now, as, as of now... Um, it's been, it, you know, it's challenging sometimes, especially because my wife is a filmmaker and uh, she travels quite a bit too. So it's just a matter of really being there for each other, you know. Whenever she's busy doing her stuff, I kind of uh, take the lead on the family thing. And when I go to, when I need to go out or I'm super busy dealing with other stuff, she takes the the lead, uh, so that's been like a super important aspect of finding that family balance uh, with our careers and professions. 
it's it shows partnership which again it's it's so important in relationships and i'm not even talking just about husband wife partner kind of relationships anything i mean think of bands i mean you've been in bands your whole life as a vi it gets quite tough when only one person's picking up the slack and you start to see resentment setting and you start to feel energies change and i know all this stuff sounds arty farty and up in the air but you you can feel it and once that chemistry and that energy changes at least in my opinion and and my um experience man often sometimes the the best situation you found yourself in can start to dwindle and feel as though wow you know this is the worst and you don't want to get to that point in personal relationships of any kind i don't think i think when you get to that point it's it's kind of hard to go back and 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 get it right again you know so it's always better to not get to that point what 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 you're just saying yeah yeah totally man totally all right let's talk about band life now i know you've played in like a million bands and i know we now play in a band together um you can include anybody or exclude anybody you want but what do you think is the toughest part about being in a band especially nowadays well definitely you know what you were just mentioning uh just like social relationships in between a band um because you know it's it's just like it's just like sharing a house you know when you go to to a different place and you move in with different people it's it, it always takes a little while to get used to others people's behavior you know um and and i think being in a band is is kind of like that it's just dealing with a lot of different personalities and um and having to you know you need to accept and you need you need to be respectful about the other personalities and ideals and and stuff um so that that's always been a challenge but when you connect with the with with the real people uh it it kind of it, it just becomes like organical you know it just it it becomes easy after a while and what about the the actual like let's say let's say you were a young musician right uh, and i don't mean like you're an old musician but let's say you're an up and coming musician and you you were deciding to kind of try and branch out and start your own project or go out with a band knowing what you know now you know having done tours and having been in bands and just with the experience you have what advice would you give up and comers about you know, trying to get in a band, trying to go about getting gigs, just all that kind of stuff. Or even, you know, if you don't want to go that deep into it about, you know, how to start a band and get gigs and things like that. Let's take it from your perspective. So I know you've worked as a sideman for a very long time, you know. Um, how do you, coming to different cities and different worlds and different places, how do you immerse yourself into that scene and therefore eventually have the phone starting to ring and get work what's your approach okay well i mean the first thing that comes to mind is uh, actually i'm going to go back to uh to our conversation earlier actually uh, about the the work ethic you know um i think that's actually one of the best approaches you can you can take in life in any scenario in a band in 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 booking gigs <clears throat> in like social relationships uh, in general you know so that's kind of the thing i've done that's kind of that that's actually kind of who i am you know um i've always tried to approach to potential gigs and opportunities with a great work ethic. So I'm I'm always there with my homework done. I'm always there on time. I'm always passionate. 
I'm always honest and sincere, you know. If I'm not happy with something, uh, I'll just throw it out there in a very respectful way. But, you know, just just to open a, a window for, for improvement, I would say, you know. Uh, yeah. So that's what I've done, actually, just in... J just just being myself man that's it just uh it it hasn't been like super hard but, but what i recommend is just first of all be yourself be honest about who you are uh be honest about the things you can do and you will do and you are committed to doing um try to be on time try to be respectful try to do your homework and uh And that will help spread the word around about you, about, uh, you know, just, just getting, a, getting a good name out there. So that's what I've done in, in Barcelona. That's what I did in London. That's what I did in Bilbao when I was playing a few gigs there. That's what I've done here in New Orleans. Um, it's not about the chops, brother. Not only about the chops. Obviously, you need to keep on shedding and keep on getting good at your instrument if that's what you want to do. But uh, it's all about it's all about being honest and and out there and expose yourself to good people and surround yourself by passionate and respectful and honest musicians and just grow from there man your your phone will start ringing you know eventually it's just a matter of time and and consistency i agree i agree and i know that some people do struggle to put themselves out there you know and and some people depending on the the mindset they become so comfortable you know communicating through a screen that sometimes going to like a jam evening and trying to talk to somebody and stuff can be quite daunting. Yeah. But just, you know, believe in yourself a little bit. And I'm not saying so much so that you become like an arrogant bastard, but believe in yourself a little bit. And <clears throat> if that's what your dream is and that's what you're trying to achieve, just go out there and at least try it. It's better to, at least in my opinion, it's better to try and, you know, even fail after trying then not try at all and land up on your deathbed one day and regret the fact that you didn't try definitely you know? man definitely and and the one thing that i will say about music uh, is or doing music as a career is you know it's it's one of those sort of jobs and i'm sure that maybe everybody's job's the same but i've never worked another job so i don't oh i can't relate shall i say but It's one of those things that it's like, when it's good, it's great. And like the phone doesn't stop ringing and you've got more gigs than you can handle and you got money coming in and this person wants to know about you and that person wants to know about you. And when you're doing well, it seems like everybody cares. And the moment you're not doing so well, it seems like nobody cares. But you've just got to remember, and this is just me spitting out some personal uh i don't want to use the word advice that seems arrogant but just some personal uh well let's call it a truth bomb <laughs> <laughs> yeah experience that's that's a good one like i i just think that like you know you've just you've got to try these things because even when you think that people aren't watching somebody's always watching Hey, what always makes me laugh is I've been in quite a few bands and, and some of those bands have been fairly successful, which I'm super grateful for. I'll never, never take the experiences and the opportunities for granted. But sometimes, unfortunately, some of those bands or some of the members in some of those bands over the years, you know, not all those relationships have always ended well. Now, touch wood. Some of the bands that I've been in uh, have had things go down in a negative light because of other people, sometimes because of you, sometimes because of the situation. But I will say this, every band that has ever been my own band, even from as early as 15, 16, I'm still friends in some shape or form with every 
person that was ever in a band that was led by me. And I, I really pride myself on that. And because it's like, you know, you might not find that you have like a lot of time with family and friends and socially, you know, your, your love life and your relationships do take a beating. But I will say the, the positive side of that from my side again is I've got like people that aren't blood that are so close that they are closer than like certain family members to me. And that blows my mind. The fact that you can bond with some of these people just because of being in a band it's like freaking awesome, man. Yeah, it's cool, man. And and I I I have to say that on my end, it it, it has been pretty much the same as as your experience, man. Uh, I mean, ev- everybody, every single musician I've I've been involved with involved with in, in the last damn I don't know twenty twenty five years. It it's still my friend, you know. I I I cannot say. You know, I, I, it's not that I talk to them every day or, or anything like that, but, you know, I've never ended up a project or a, a band like in a, in a, in a super bad way. You know, I, I think, yeah, I'm pretty grateful about all the musicians I played with in, in my days. And, um, Yeah. Yeah, dude. Now, look, I, I unfortunately can't say that I never have. Uh, there's definitely been a situation or two where I was playing with other people and things didn't always end well. You know, I always tried to diffuse certain situations and obviously you never wanted to get to that point. But, you know, you're dealing with typically three, four, five different personalities. And something I've realized along the way is all you can do is exactly what you said earlier. You can be yourself and try your best. And, you know, you can please some of the people some of the time, but you can't please all of the people all of the time. I think we were talking about that this past week. It's like, I never maliciously ever try and go out there and hurt or offend anybody. That's just not who I am. But unfortunately, sometimes you don't know where other people's heads are at. And the one thing that I will say is, you know, there are, not to bring mental health into this, but there are a lot of insecurities among musicians, even if that doesn't appear that way. You know, sometimes musicians can be very sensitive. Not to say other people can't, but musicians can be very sensitive. Yeah, we're we're very, we're very, you know, critique about our stuff and and we take it very personal. (laughs) Yeah, completely. You know, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing either. It's just, I just think when it, when we go back to the whole working and staying busy and, and trying to kind of get out there kind of thing, you've, you've got to be open to everything. You can't get offended by everything. You you know, you might play something and somebody might go, hey, dude. Okay, well, prime example, we were at rehearsal this past week and you did a fill in the one song that's not actually on the record. Yeah, and I was I like, dude, you got to keep that fill in. Okay, so that was maybe more of a positive. But how many times have you found yourself in positions where it's, hey, don't do that. And you can't take that badly especially if somebody's paying you and they booking you, you know, put your pride aside. You, you live in your dream, you know? Man, I actually have a little, a little anecdote about this. <laughs> and uh, I remember it was like maybe, what, like maybe four years ago, I'm I guessing. Um, I was playing with this guy. He's like a, a great blues player, you know, he's like the real deal. This guy called Ron Hacker. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, uh, I think he's like 75 years old now or something like that. And um, obviously, I, you know, you, you think you know how to play the blues. But when you get down here to the south, you know, the, the deep south, right where we are, this is... This is the, the 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 mecca of the blues, yeah, of the real blues. You know, Mississippi, all the Delta, 
all down to you know to the mouth of Louisiana and and uh, so I was playing with this guy and uh, he booked me for a few gigs and I started playing with him and since day from day one he told me you got the spark but you don't have the blues yet and I was like oh man that hurts. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it was like, oh shit! I thought I was, I thought I was delivering, you know, because I, because I, I was trying hard, you know. It was a cool gig. He was the real deal. I was playing with a, with Ron Hacker, who, who's, who's a killer, killer blues uh, slide guitar player, man. And he, he plays all this, like killer Delta blues guitar riffs. And I, I have always loved the Delta blues, you know, just the guitar, the slide and the vocals. That is that is pure love for me. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, he he actually he actually taught me how to play the blues. You know, I'm not saying that I'm the greatest blues player there is now, not, not even close. But I kind of understood how to approach the blues after yeah. Ron Hacker, you know, brought me down or tore me down to pieces. <laughs> and uh, But it was always that, you know, it, it hurt. And it was like, damn, I, it, I feel bad right now. But I'm, I feel bad, but I'm willing to learn. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm open-minded to, to grab that information and store it and process it and, and develop something good. And... Uh, the last gig I played with Ron, he just turned around and he was like, "Kid, you got it. You finally got it." So, you know? That's cool. So man. it was, it was, it was very hurtful, but very enjoyable and very, and it was, it was a beautiful thing. And that, and that's what music is supposed to be. Music is supposed to be a beautiful thing. I agree, and it's cool because it shows growth as well. You know, I mean, you could have taken that in a negative light and gone, "Well, fuck you, dude." And I'm colorblind. I don't need to see blues and exactly. just go and play, you. play something else. I but, know how but to play the you blues. Took it on. Yeah, you took it on. You learned from it, experienced something new, and now you've got something within you that might work for the next guy. Yeah, you you're know? right. Yeah. All right. So let's change direction a little bit. You and I play in Deep Sleep Atlantic. Now, we have been rehearsing for a little while, working on material, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But by the time this podcast comes out, we would have actually officially only been around for three or three, maybe four, three and a half months. Yeah, right? three, four months, I would, I would say top, yeah. So we are only a two-piece, which can be challenging, Um because we play to some pre-recorded backtracks, like our bass player is completely digital. He doesn't talk much. He doesn't have. Yeah, he doesn't have much personality. <laughs> he he but, does have a um, pretty face, though. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. An interface. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. <laughs> um, tell me, you know. I know that a lot of the, the world is going to this format now. Like if you go to LA or even if you watch a lot of the Nashville, the, the sort of new country acts and stuff, a lot of them are playing with tracks. It's not a new thing. It's not like we're reinventing the wheel. Bands have been doing this for years. The Who used to do it during the um, Tommy and Quadrophenia tours. Pink Floyd did it. This is not by any means a new thing. But obviously, you and I are both playing to in-ear monitors, and then we are working overtime trying to overcompensate for parts on a record that really would be more easy to pull off if we had all, um, other band members. So what would you say has been the hardest part so far adjusting to this kind of format and... In regards to using in-ear monitors, which sounds like such a, a silly question, but some people hate them, like me. <laughs> so what would you advise if people are interested in going into that format and start using clicks live and in-ears live and computers live? What's the best way to do it? And how are you feeling about it all? Okay, well, the first question or, or the first part of the question, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I would say the hardest part of adjusting to this dynamic of work or flow dynamic, like you want to, uh, you want to call it, it's um, it's been like finding a good balance on stage sound, like live sound, you know. Um, you know, you know what we, what, why we just kind of went into the Pro Tools rig kind of way, uh, path, because we were not getting the right stage sound on our wedges. And, um, so I think it's a, it, it's not an easy thing to do. It takes a little, a few more steps, but it's always better to be in control of your ears because uh, you know what you want to hear people don't know what's happening inside your head but I would say that's like the, the, the everything else has been you know I, I've always been super used to working with in-ear monitors uh, I've been in in studio scenarios for a while for a few years now and uh, and you kind of get used to that and you get used to the click And uh, so it, it just becomes kind of a natural thing within you. So I don't really have any issues working with in-ear monitors or, or with a click or with the backing tracks. It's just a matter of listening, man. For me, it's, it's listening, what's going on. More, listen, more listening than, than thinking, you know? Yeah, I am... Um I love the idea of playing to a click, you know, I mean, we've, we've seen just on the few gigs that we've done, how the feedback is, man, you guys are so tight, man, you guys are so tight. It's like without hesitation, every single time, even on the tester gigs we did, like that seems to be the response. Oh my God, you guys are so tight. Wow. It sounds like a record. You're so tight. I mean, we did that one gig in Metairie where they, They didn't believe we were actually even playing, which I thought was, that was quite a compliment. I mean, we're not playing, wait, wait, like what? seriously. We're, we're not playing? Like, Who said that? Like, dude, did you not see us up there sweating our freaking ears off? Like, come on. Um, but for me, I've just always found putting stuff in my ears super uncomfortable. You know, now, obviously, if I could wear over-ear headphones, I would because I, I love them, but it just doesn't look very cool, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, so I'm not going to do would, that. That wouldn't look but, good on stage. <laughs> yeah, so so I'm not going to do that, but I just, um, I don't know what it is, man. It's like, I've just always had issues with putting stuff in my ears. I think, you know, when I was a kid, I wasn't, um, I was born super premature, like super premature. They thought I was going to die. I was like three months premature or something stupid. And, uh, wow. and I wasn't born with, um, well, some countries call it grommets here. They call it tubes. I don't exactly know what they are, but like, so the inside of my ears are not, it's not visible to the naked eye, but the actual insides of my ear canals are like scarred to shit. So it's like, it's really quite funny. Every time I go to the doctor and they, they do that thing where they, they got the, the, the light and they look in your ears. Oh, dude, with yeah. that fail, every single time they do that and they go, whoa. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What's going on? Like thinking something's wrong with my ears. They go, you have so much scar tissue in your ear canal. And I'm like, uh, yeah, but I can hear. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know it, um, but but yeah I think you're on the money I think it comes back to listening and uh, that brings me to a little bit of my next point I had somebody say to me recently and it's not the first time that um, they feel that drummers actually listen to the band on a whole far more than other instrumentalists and at first I was like hmm I'm not sure about that. You know, a nice compliment, sure, but but I'm not entirely convinced. But then I started like kind of really thinking about it and just like looking at the the overall scheme of things and it really is quite interesting how many like massive producers were either drummers or bass players. And even if you look yeah. at even if you look at like so many 
front men and women, they were drummers first. Axl Rose was a drummer first. Chris Cornell was a drummer first. Madonna was a drummer first. I've heard stories about Michael Jackson apparently always playing on the drums. I, I can't deny or confirm Stevie that. Wonder, brother. Stevie Wonder was a drummer. I mean, there's countless pictures of Kurt Cobain behind the drums, Jimi Hendrix behind the drums. So it's like, you know, I'm not saying they were all like kind of Steve Gadd kind of drummers, but it's like maybe there is something to that. You know, maybe be, being behind there, making sure you keep the groove locked in, it forces you to listen more to everybody else versus somebody who might just be paying attention to what they're doing. I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting I mean, thing to say. It, it is. It is very interesting. And uh, to be honest, I, I've never thought about it, like, specifically. But now that you bring it up, it's like, well, shit. I I do realize I, I hear the, the, the full band, you know, as a whole, I'm always listening to the bass parts. I'm always listening to the guitar parts, uh, both the rhythm and lead. You know, uh, I'm I'm always listening to the to the vocalist um, trying to match uh, the lyrics and his or his or her phrasings. You know, because because uh, yeah, as a drummer, like you said, our job is to keep the groove going and keep the band steady but also to enchant all those little moments and the little leaks, you know? So uh, we, we, I, I always, myself, I always try to, you know, just give it a little extra to those little simplicities that happen in a song. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, man, listening is a huge part of it. And I, I learned a lot about that. When I moved down here to New Orleans, because, uh, I, I mean, I was here like for a week and a half and I got thrown to my first three-hour gig without knowing any of the repertoire. Yeah. I was in a recording session and the keyboard player of the recording session was like, hey, there's this guy that needs a drummer for today, like in two hours from now. Do you want to do it? And I was like, well, shit, I don't know the repertoire. I don't know. I've, I've rarely played any three-hour gigs because, you know, that only happens down here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I just went ahead and, 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 and grabbed the gig and did it. And it was all about listening, man. And it was a great gig, actually. I maybe knew, damn, uh, 30, 35% of the repertoire. Wow. And, uh, and, and I did it and we pulled it off and... And, you know, it's all about listening. It's all about doing your job and make the band comfortable and make the singers super comfortable. And, uh, yeah, it's all about listening what's going on, man. So important. I agree. So, Daniel, what do you think has been the hardest part about being a self-employed musician? The hardest part of being a self-employed musician, uh, I would say... You know, when the, well, at least down here in New Orleans, uh, it's all about seasons. You know, it's all about the festival season. It's all about the fall season. It's all about the Mardi Gras season. So one of the hard things, you know, is when seasons go like dry and, uh, and you didn't catch a tour. So you're kind of stuck down in the city, not making money, trying to find you know, other stuff to do, but, um, but I would say, huh, that's, that's a tough question, man, actually. <laughs> What's, the, yeah, it is. Uh, I guess it, it, it's, uh, right now, as of today, I would say one of my big challenges of being a self-employed musician and a self-employed producer, um, it's, finding time for everything uh time management it becomes such an important thing because you're doing a lot of stuff and a lot of things and the the to-do list of things just keeps growing and growing and growing so that is that is one of the hardest parts that you have to kind of adjust and be very responsible with your time and your tasks to do And, you know, fulfill them all. 
I would say that's one of the big challenges I have as a self-employed musician. And what do you think has been some of the best advice you've ever received in regards to being a musician? Hmm. I would say, and we go back to the to the beginning of the of the of the chat, actually, just like be be yourself, always be honest to yourself, and always be on time, and always do your homework, and uh, be reliable. That's it. Just be a reliable person that people can trust, you know, and uh, and that that's part of being a human being. And that's part of being a drummer, you know. You got to be there for the band. You got to be there for the song. You got to be there for the groove. And uh, But you got to be there for yourself, you know, too. So just be honest to yourself and make yourself available and reliable all the time. Yeah, totally, man. I um, I think it's just a matter of, Again, I hate to keep going back to it, but just a matter of balance, you know. Yeah, balance is balance is 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 my word, brother. It's it's the word I I try to keep present every single minute of my life. Yeah, uh, it's all about yeah. balance. That's the right thing. All right, I've only got a couple more things left. So, tell us a little bit about the drum room. That's your studio, okay. just for those yeah. who, who don't know. Daniel has a studio called The Drum Room. Tell us about The Drum Room. Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, the name, it, it's a funny thing. That's kind of a name that it, it was just like recently born. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it basically, it is, a, it, is a, it is a very like humble little space. But uh, it has a lot of love into it, you know, and, and a lot of good gear too. <laughs> I've been investing some time and research and money uh, and, and, and getting some good microphones. And, and, you know, I've been accumulating some cool gear over the years, some cool drums and some cool snares and my cymbals and, and you know, all the electronic stuff too. So um, the drum room... Uh, actually started as um, <laughs> like a lot of things, you know, in our modern times. It was born uh, right during the pandemic. Because uh, obviously gigs were canceled. Um, and I was, you know, before the pandemic, I was playing like maybe seven gigs a week, six, seven gigs, maybe eight gigs a week, maybe nine, you know. So... From night till day, it just, like, everything vanished. There was no gigs. All the venues were closed. Everything was shut down. And um, so I had this little rehearsal space. It was not even, like, set for a recording environment. And uh, and I just decided, you know, I have a bunch of time in my hands. I'm going to finally, like, after years of working in, in, in other people's studios as an assistant or just like running sporadic sessions here and there, I just thought to myself and I, and I was like, listen, man, I think you got the time and, um, and, and, and the ambition to do it, you know? So why not doing it? So I just basically kind of worked, started working on the room, uh, just got some you know, uh, noise insulation stuff and build up some panels and started from scratch, just like turning this ugly looking rehearsal space into what I feel is second home now, you know? Um, and yeah, that's basically what it is. It is a, it is a room for drums because that's how it started. But it's developed, you know, it, it, it's, it's been evolving a bunch. I've recorded full albums here now. I keep doing overdub sessions um, and, some, and, and still do my, my, my remote drum sessions from here. And so it's, it's like second home. You know, I spend here a bunch of hours of my days 
and it, it feels good, man. It, it's the the vibe and the energy is just right in the in the drum room. Yeah, it's a great room, and you know, as humble as it sounds, it's a great sounding room. It's just a it cool is. vibe, it is. you know. And yeah. and I mean, you and I've been rehearsing there now for quite a while, which I appreciate. Thanks for always allowing us to do that. Uh, we've we've also started um, tracking a few things there for Deep Steep Atlantic, etc., etc., etc. That stuff's you know not yet to come out. It will eventually. Um, but that leads me to really one of my last questions. Uh, we've just had this album drop, our first album prelude. Uh, obviously, we've released a couple singles. Singles have done pretty well, thankfully. But um, thanks, to, thanks to all the people out there, man, and, and keep keep supporting. Yeah, yeah, no, seriously, thank you. I mean, if it wasn't for you guys and girls and any other um, gender preference listening, we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't really have a point to do it, you know. So thank you. But um, talk us through a little bit about the first album. I know you have a favorite, but maybe it's changed. So what's your go-to? Not that many artists listen to their own albums, but if you were going to listen to our album, what what would the go-to song be for you? Oh, well, there's a, there's a couple or a few that I really enjoy, uh, both listening and playing. Um, I would say my favorite one is... Probably always gonna be bottom of the sea. <laughs> I really like that song, man. Uh, I remember the the first time you, you sent me like the the sketch of it or like the you know. Um, I really like that song. It was a super cool song to listen, and it was, and and as soon as I started playing it, it it, it was so much fun. It had so many cool things and little elements and 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 yeah, that's. That's always been a super fun song. Um, Bipolar Tendencies is super fun to play, man. It's like a little bit more out there. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would say those two and Love the Way, that's the, that's the other one. It's, uh, it brings some different elements to it. So it gives a little bit more like space and opportunity to try new things and uh and so those three but i guess you know it, it every song has something that really drags me into them you know it's like bones is killer too and it's super fun to play just rock it out there smash some damn drums out <laughs> yeah so i, I but but i i'm gonna say my top one song of the album it's bottom of the seat <laughs> Well, we might have to consider making that a single, I tell you. Because, well, uh, maybe. I mean, it, it's not only me. It, my wife also loves that song, and it's her favorite one, too. <laughs> cool. Hey, well, I knew this producer back in the day. Very, very good award-winning producer. And whenever you would record with him, <clears throat> at the end of the session, especially if the song was finished, or to a point that it was listenable, he'd go, take that home, play it for your girlfriend. I'd be like, what? What are you talking uh -huh. about? He's like, if your girl likes it, everyone will like it. And I was like, that can't be go. true. But dude, without fail, every single time, you could take a whole album. And the one that he was like, which one does the girlfriend like? Nine times out of ten, that was what the label or the management always led with as a single. So it was like quite interesting, you know? There you go. Anyway, Daniel Perez, uh, tell us where people can find you. And then we're going to call it a day, buddy. Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm here uh, gigging in New Orleans. Uh, you, can, you can find me and, you know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and it's uh, Daniel Perez Iriondo. Uh, that's the little extra that is my, my, my second last name because uh, in Colombia and in Spain... Um, we, we kind of use both last names, you know? Uh, so that's kind of my, my full name is how you can find me. And uh, you can find me also on my, on my website, you know, the, the drum room, 
It's like a it's like a personal slash um, drum room kind of thing website. You can find me there. It's Daniel P. Irion the Drum. So if you can just type my name online, you'll yeah, see. Yeah, I'll, I'll put the, the I'll put the link. the links in the show notes as well, just for anybody who's interested. Um, yeah. Well, buddy, listen. Thank you so much for your time. Truly appreciate it. Thanks for sharing your journey with us. Thanks for sharing some of your knowledge with us. Um, anybody listening as usual please go give us a rating and review Uh, don't forget to check out Deep Sleep Atlantic don't forget to check out Daniel Perez brother I'll talk to you soon man yeah you're right man it was always a pleasure talking to you brother you too thanks my buddy sweet well there we go thank you to everybody who continues to listen and support the podcast If you want to find out more about Musicians Mentor, just go to musicians-mentor.com. If you'd like to find out more about Deep Sleep Atlantic, head to deepsleepatlantic.com. My name is Travis Mark. I want to thank Daniel for his time. Check him out. He's a cool dude. Um, If you're enjoying these and getting stuff from this, please do me a favor and leave us a rating or review or share with like-minded individuals. I appreciate you. Keep rocking. Peace.